Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. So brilliant. So welcome to Making It Happen. Uh, my name is Tom Dalton. Uh, we are on episode number 22. I'm delighted to say today's guest is Shane Monahan. Shane Monahan is the founder and designer and the main driving force by, I got the pronunciation right now, Lemore. Um, Lemur, sorry, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> playing with dyslexia on that. Shane's there laughing away. But anyway, as we just went through it. But anyway, pressure. So, uh, Shane has been a professional rugby player for the past 10 years, having played with a number of top European rugby sides, including Leinster, Munster, and Gloucester Rugby in the English Aviva Premiership. And I was actually watching some of his highlights there he had on Instagram. So he got a few tries back in the day, speedy winger. Shane, welcome to Making It Happen. That was great. Thank you very much for having me. So Shane, like I do with most of the guests, I'd love to probably just before your early years of getting into probably sport and how that, how professional rugby came to you, where does that journey begin? It starts with my dad. Um, my dad actually, I'm from Mornington, it's just outside Drogheda, and my dad was captain of the local rugby team here, and he actually went to Blackrock College um, in the 70s. And when he went up there, I, I think he went in when he was in third year, so junior search or intercert at the time, and he'd, he'd never even heard of rugby or seen a rugby ball. So he's this, you know, at the time, even Drogheda, well, I still got called a bog man from, from Drogheda when you're in Dublin, you know. Um, that's how he got into introduced to rugby, fell in love with rugby, um, came back and, and played it in, in Drogheda. And then, you know, when, when he had kids, introduced us to the sport as well and started about maybe five or six, brought us in for the, for the minis. And um, that's how I got introduced to rugby. And I had a period of time... I played up until maybe 10 and like most kids, I wanted to try something different and I went off and played uh, soccer. Like I played Gaelic football all the way through, but, but soccer for about two years, which I loved. Came back to rugby at 12, just after. So Drogheda, used to be Drogheda Rugby Club and Delvin Rugby Club, amalgamated to make Boyne RFC. So I left, it was Drogheda and I came back, it was Boyne and I was about 12 and I just made a decision when I was 12 years of age, I love rugby. I want to do this. You can do it professionally. So that's what I'm going to do. And I made a decision then that I want to be a professional rugby player. And that was what my whole focus was from the age of 12, basically. And was that, Shane, was that like a big burden on the shoulders? Was it got to get my diet right? I've got to get my training right. And this is like sole focus. I can make it as a rugby player. Like that's a big decision at 12. I, I know. No, it wasn't at all. It was... For me, it was uh, it was the opposite. Um, you often see a big issue with people nowadays is what do I do? You know, I'm in school, I'm doing my leaving cert. There's there's too many options really for people, and that's that's major pressure. You know, I think for me anyway, I found it the opposite way. When you actually have that tunnel vision and a goal that you want to achieve, it makes your decisions and everything you do a lot easier. Um, the dieting. And all that sort of stuff. Not really like yeah, like the difference in professionalism in sport and in and rugby in particular, even since I've retired, has is night and day. It wasn't it wasn't that kind of thing. I, I did 
like you know I, I didn't touch a drop of alcohol that was maybe 16 um you know so all that I was very adverse to any of that stuff you know keeping out of trouble or staying away from girls or any of that kind of thing it was just rugby 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 so from that perspective I was very focused um and that just stuck with me it definitely stood to me um and it was the same then as well there's other other sports so I had the obviously the rugby in my mind I wanted to play professionally for and Ireland and then in the Gaelic side of things I had a goal from the age of I don't know maybe 12 or whatever I wanted to play minor for Mead so that was another major goal I had which I achieved you know so and any time you achieve anything it gives you more confidence in, in what you're doing you know and um, that's that's something that in rugby uh, you know when you're trying to achieve something it doesn't happen overnight you have to have um, direction or stages you know as it were a b c d and there's no straight line there's ups and downs and all that kind of thing but in, in the rugby in the system in ireland i go right what what do i have to do to achieve uh playing for leinster at a senior level and the underage system you looked at you know there's leinster youths under 18s irish uh youths um getting into leinster academy all the system approaches and that started from the age of maybe 14 because lads really turning into the professional monster they are now um, by um, reaching out and looking at kids and players who weren't in the school system, who were in the club system, who may fall through the net or whatever. So they bring them up to the to Dublin every summer and do three or four weeks of camps. And that started for me at a age, yeah, maybe 13, 14. So every summer, my summer was block booked to go up and train in Dublin. Do you get me? So you'd have that staged approach and that was really helpful as well and for your confidence because if you have right I need to make the northeast Leinster I'm 15 that's under 16 I need to make that I made it great positive a little bit more confidence next year I need to do the same thing again done and then next year I need to make the full Leinster uh, um, youth team you do that and so on and so forth so um it, that was a very valuable lesson for what I'm doing now as well, which I know we'll talk about in a minute, um, of it doesn't happen overnight. There's lots of steps along the way, but if you can visualize that or put those steps down, it, it certainly helps your journey. And Shane, were you, were you always a winger or what position did you start out in? No, I started out as a 10. Um, I was a lot smaller originally and... It wasn't necessarily to do with my size. It was because I loved that position. And I was like, when you're a kid, oh, I want to play winger, or I want to play forward, or I want to play whatever, you know. And uh, I was good. I was I was talented. And um, in the club as well, um, I, I think, yeah, I was a standout player in the club, so no one really, really um, disputed that. But it was it meant I was on the ball all the time as well, which was great. And that's what I loved about that position. And, um, as I get older and as I uh, I grew a bit and as you go up the standards, then you come across players in a 10 position who are better than me, better suited to play 10. Do you get me? And then you, you, kind of, you gradually get pushed out. Uh, and I played centre and then went on wing. And I think when I was in the Leinster system, um, they earmarked me to be a winger. They said, right, he's going to be a winger, more so than I said I wanted to be a winger. So you kind of get outside forces put you in certain directions as well, you know. Um, and that's how that happened, really, um, in terms of playing on the wing. 
and Shane did it. Was there a moment where it all clicked for you? Like, I have a professional contract in front of me. This is amazing. I'm getting paid to play something I love. How did that come about? Um, that didn't happen to Lowe's in Gloucester. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a lot of peaks and troughs, professional sport. And, you know, like Leinster, my dream was to play professionally for Leinster. And as I said, I hit all those goals the whole way up underage. Like I started nearly every single Leinster underage game I was involved in, almost every single international underage game I was involved in as a first choice player. And then you hit senior level, you know, and that goes out the window because you're no longer the best or, you know, you're in with like the Brian O'Driscolls and the Gordon Darcy's and the Shane Horgans and Dennis Hickey's and whoever was there at the time. Um, the Kearney's and that, you know. Um, so you've the, you've that to contend with. And like with me, um, the first step, we were in the sub-academy originally. I don't know if you know the Leinster system works. Uh, so you go in the unprofessional, unpaid sub-academy, which at the time in particular is way harder than the academy because it's kind of like boot camp for the army they need to the sas they need to weed out the the week before they they give them a a, a paid contract you know see if you're mentally strong enough or if you want this enough and and that was an incredible for um giving me the the, the physical side of it which was which was massive but the uh, mental strength and being exposed to it. and that gives you even more because you're you're going in as a sub academy who are definitely like in in the ranking system or right at the bottom so you'd be in at like half seven in the morning you have to be out of there before the senior players come in before the academy boys even come in you know but you'd see the guys you'd see all the all the stars at the time you're like holy shit there's you know there's brian o'driscoll or there's leo cullen or whatever and um, that would give you more um encouragement to keep going um but as I, as I said, it's um, in terms of the contract to ask your question, like Leinster was difficult in terms of, in order to get that contract, you need opportunity. doesn't matter how good you are at training. If you don't play, you don't get a contract. Was, everything comes down to timing. And I was quite, um, not unlucky, but it is what it is in terms of the period of time I was in Leinster, which you're in the Cheka, Michael Cheka era. And when Chex came in, he was there to uh, to make Leinster winners, not to develop young players. So there were very few new caps, as it were, that came through in that period of time when I was there. And um, and then there's a combination of other things as well. Injury, too, gets in the way of, of rugby players' uh, success. And I had my fair share of soft tissue injuries, little niggly injuries, nothing serious, but enough to keep you out for a few weeks. And that's that comes down to, again, like knowing your body, I know my body so much better now than I did back then. And the knowledge from, and the type of training that was done back then, they'd never do now. And I've since heard that from the coaches. I said, listen, guy, you guys are the guinea pigs, really. Um, and, and that has a lasting effect. And there's, there's certain guys who are in the academy system at the time of me, and they never made it to professional, to the professional ranks because of injury. And that was caused, really because of the loading and training they were doing before they even made it up there, you know? Um, and that's the thing, like if you're in doing crazy weights and crazy fitness and a specific type of training uh, and you only play really 
once a month or every every now and again your body's not adapted to match specific training and fitness and like if you're if you're used to linear running and you have to do sidestep and all of a sudden your body reacts by tearing muscles or doing ligaments and so that's the other factor you have to you have to put into as well and like the the my best season in Leinster, my second year in the academy, um, I actually took a year out from college to concentrate on rugby for that because I knew I had to. And um, the week, like a great great season, fantastic season, which you know um, I really should have got a develop. Any other coach, I probably would have got a development contract or whatever off the back of it. But uh, the the week of my I uh, would have got my first cap, first starting cap for the Leinster senior squad near the end of the season. They throw out the academy boys. I had a, I had a niggling injury in my knee, uh, tendinopathy uh, in my knee, and I basically had to make the call, I can't play. It was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to do because I just wasn't capable. It was right at the end, of, but it was just pure loading of, of from all the playing and all that. Um, so that's all the stuff you have to deal with, and that's why I never ha- had that, um, as you said, that feeling of I've made it in Leinster um, and eventually uh, I was let go from the academy I got another injury in the pre-season which basically kept me out till Christmas and that's half the season gone and you know that's how ruthless it is and all the work and all the great things you've done before means nothing you know did it, did it build you up with a bit of resilience like is it tough getting dropped and having to restart and go again and where am I going to go from here oh yeah most definitely um, it's very yeah it's not nice it's it's it comes down to belief as well, you know. Um, if lads don't really believe in themselves and they get dropped, that's where they fall off. Because like, Roy, I must be being dropped for a reason. Maybe I'm not good enough, you know. Um, whereas I never, I never had that ever. I knew I was good enough, you know. I knew I was good enough to play. I knew what I like. I I had my specific way of playing, you know. And I was very like marmite, I suppose. Some coaches loved me, and some coaches didn't like me at all. Um, and that would go for lads I played with as well. I'm sure that my specific way of playing and type of playing, crude but effective. <laughs> and uh, um, but I I always knew I was good enough, you know. And that's why if someone dropped me, it was like, well, they're making the mistake, not me. Because yeah, I know what I can do, you know, and I, and even with the the the, the skills that side of it, there's the the heart side of it and the mental approach. And I said I will give a hundred percent every time I play, you know, I will never let myself or my teammates down, and that's a massive part of it as well. So that's why I didn't give up. Like like even when when I left Leinster and I was in a difficult place to try and get a contract, eventually got a contract in 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 Connacht, and Again, this shows how fickle the industry is and attitudes of coaches and stuff like that. The, that. That second season I was telling you about in Leinster, I got offered a two-year senior contract, which would have been my first full professional contract from Connacht for, at the time, a very good money and for me and all that. And I turned it down. And I, I turned it down not because I didn't want to go to Connacht, but because I had three years done of my um, course in Dublin, DIT, product design, which I'd taken a year out of that year. I'd one year left. If I left to go to Connacht, I'd never finish that degree because you couldn't do it anywhere else. And that was another ridiculously difficult situation for me to be in because I didn't want to be a product designer. I wanted to be a professional rugby player. But I know that rugby 
you know, you could break your leg and the game's over. And it was, that's the, that's the, those situations are so difficult to have to deal with. And I, you know, I was talking to people and I took a lot of advice. At the end, it was my decision to make. And I said, I have to, I have to get that degree. And I, again, backing myself and backing my confidence of another year, it's not ideal going into the academy, but I know I'm good enough and I'll back it. And then you go in and you get a, a bruised bone in preseason in the third year and you're, and it's taken out of your hands. Um, but again, positives out of negatives, because I was injured, I was able to a degree in the final year, which ended up helping me pass the thing and get it. So, yeah, you know, every situation, depending on your perspective, how you look at it. And um, that's, that's very, very important. And that, that's so important in sport, like you said, being dropped. If you look at it negatively, that's all that you'll think about and that'll affect everything. It is negative, but you have to try and focus on, right, why have I been dropped? You know, am I not fit enough? I'm not strong enough. Is my past not good enough? And um, feedback from coaches is very important. It's more frustrating when you don't get that feedback from coaches and they don't have a reason for you. That's, that's what can be difficult, you know. And Shane, so you, you got your degree yeah. Um, what was next? Yeah, so I got my degree in that season in, in, in Connacht. Yeah, so when I signed from Con- for Connacht, I went from that two-year senior contract to a one-year development. And you have to ask the question, in, in, those, in that 12 months, did I become a worse player? You know what I mean? No is the answer. It just comes down to decision-making, politics is in there, attitudes, all that side of it as well, because I don't think they, they took too kindly to me turning down the first offer. And I don't know if they really wanted me to go the second time round. And I, I, have a, I have an inkling feeling that the IRFU might have told them to take me, to keep me in the country, because I was looking to go abroad at the, at the time, uh, potentially. And anyway, I went over there and another, it was quite a frustrating year, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't really get opportunity at all. And uh, it was great. Listen, I have some great mates and that side of it was really good. But from a, um, a rugby perspective, um, wasn't what I wanted at all. Uh, again, all you really want is opportunity to show what you can do. And if you don't take your opportunity, that's on you. But you need to have the opportunity, you know. So... Um, so that, that was what it was. It was a year there. And then it was a case of, you know, you're, you're let go from Leinster. You didn't get a contract. You're let go from Connacht, who at the time were probably the worst, you know, bottom three of the league. You know, they're, they're, it shows you how far Connacht have come from then. So you're getting let go from a team at that level as well. And automatically, his perception becomes reality. It's just, why is this guy getting let go? He mustn't be any good kind of thing. Um, so I was in a very difficult position to try and get a contract and eventually I got a contract uh, fella, fella who took a chance on me Andre Bester who I, I owe a hell of a lot to South African coach from Rotherham um, he'd seen he'd heard of me he'd seen my my footage like even getting footage was difficult back then you know and now you can get it all the time but it was quite difficult even to get um, footage of you playing and he rang me and he basically, Andre and his, his deep Afrikaans, South African accent, it was like, you can play for me and within a year you will be in the premiership. You know? I was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just delighted that. And, and again, it's what that does for a player when you have a coach who actually does believe in you 
and knows you're good enough and knows you have everything that it takes to to be a winner and that changes everything you know because I, I was coming from a position where the coach Leinster didn't even know who he was half the time and in in Connacht did not believe in me complete opposite at the time uh, had a very negative view of me to to a coach who was nothing but positive which was incredible and off the back of that that season in Rotherham um, I played 28 times in one season 28 starts and that was more rugby in one year than I played in four in Ireland wow so opportunity and when you play more regularly your body adapts you don't get injured so I played more in one of the toughest leagues in the world the British Championship and I didn't get injured so there's a massive correlation and uh, off the back of that I'm scoring tries as well you know you're getting that opportunity people can see you say oh geez this guy's actually pretty good oh geez he scores tries as well oh and he keeps injury free so you're ticking all those boxes and you're in the eyes of people. And uh, off the back of that, I got my contract in Gloucester. So within a year of, I can't get a contract anywhere. And actually, off the, I'll never forget it. I, I mention it, you know, a lot of times when I'm telling this story. When I got let go from Connacht, I was back in uh, Blackrock. had been my club in the AAL. And they're a brilliant club. And, and they're, they're great to help players, you know, get jobs and all that kind of thing. And, I'd just been let go from, from Connacht. I think it was 23 at that stage. 23, 24 maybe. And the guys came up to me and says, listen, Shane, um, we know you've been let go from Connacht and now you're retired. We, we want to help you get a job if we can. And I was like, what do you mean I'm retired? You know, this was the attitude because you'd been let go from, I was 23, 24. I was like, what are you talking about? But, but that was, you know, if you can't make it in Connacht, you know what I mean? You can't make it anywhere. Um, so to be able to within a year literally one season of going from can't get a contract anywhere to get a contract with one of the best clubs in, in, in the world really in premiership rugby was massive and that just you can just uh, think of the um, confidence um, it wasn't even a, a, the confidence side of it it was just myself proving a point to myself and to the world that yes I am good enough and and taking that opportunity then from Connor. And then I went on to um basically the season I had was that following year uh with Connacht. And it was that season, that question he asked me when I had that Eureka moment, you know, I was like, Holy shit, this is it. And pure pure bliss. It's hard to explain it, pure happiness. Like coming from my gosh, um so a few few months into the season, right at the beginning of the season, really, you know, because uh, again, you're trying to prove yourself and break yourself into the Gloucester squad, and we had a new coach as well, Nigel Davies. Was, I was signed by Brian Redpath, and he was sacked within a month of signing me. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, before the season even started, I never met Brian. I had met him in person since, but at the time, I'd only spoken to him on the phone, and he was gone from the club before he even arrived. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, my agent was ringing me up. He's like, don't worry, the contract's signed. Nothing in it. Squag, you're in. I was like, it's fine because it didn't matter my attitude. And I was like, if you look at the NFL draft, I would have been like draft 300, draft pick 300. It was right at the end of the season, last bit of budget, trying to fill a space kind of player, you know. But that didn't matter to me because, you know, I knew I was good enough to be a first draft pick. So, um, Nigel came in and what was great for me was uh, 
I've been both ends of this as well. But on this situation, it was great because Nigel was a new coach looking at this squad with fresh eyes. He didn't know anyone. So everyone was at a fresh level playing ground. And as I had a fantastic, and I was coming off the back of being super fit, having a great season in, in Rotherham and uh, did really well. And within a few months, I'd worked my way into being a starting player in the team. And I got selected to start against Bath in the, the Premiership Derby, which is as big as the Leinster-Munster game, um, in Kingsholm, which was, is the biggest game of the year for Gloucester. Wow. And that's what I was saying. My first season, within a few months, I'm starting in. And it was a beautiful sunny day leaving training. And I was driving. I'll never forget it. Driving out of the, the training um the, the the training park and the sun shining and I was like fucking hell this is deadly this is it this is what I've been working for for the last 10 years this moment right here and I made a point to myself is remember this and that's why I remember it so vividly and it's those kind of moments you hang on to and use to drive you and push yourself forward you know and Shane did is there anyone that stands out during that time or like was it lonely going to the UK and taking that opportunity or is there a coach or a player or a mentor that I know you mentioned the South African coach that's stood by and helped you on that journey? I never, the loneliness thing never really um, affected me. Um, the Rotherham thing was great in that I had a friend, um, a fellow called Shane Cahill, who's a great, great mate of mine who played in Black Rock and he had been in Doncaster which is very close to Rotherham, and he just signed for Rotherham as well. So I had a place to stay initially when I went over. I mean, Shane and I stayed together for the first few months. And Robin Copeland as well, who you may have heard of, uh, he signed for Rotherham that season as well. So, and I'd known Robin from the sub-academy in, in, in Leinster. So we, we were friends as well. Uh, so I had guys there I knew, but that never really, some people get really caught up in that oh I'm away from home or I'm homesick or I don't know anyone or anything like that that never really bothered me and as well as that I wasn't there to make friends really I was there to to achieve a goal and that's all I could that's all I cared about and that's all I thought about and but the beauty of sport and the nature of things is uh, rugby in particular is you do make friends it's just the nature of the environment and that year is a special year as well in Rotherham because we are essentially like the Renford rejects you know like Andre, he, he, you know, some aspects of his coaching can be questionable, but one aspect that's undisputable is he's one of the best scouts for talent I've ever come across for finding guys that are good enough to play internationally but haven't made it for whatever reason, whether it's injury, lack of opportunity, you know, just falling off, whatever the case may be. And that's what he did. And that year in particular, he came in and he built a squad where everyone was of the same mindset. They wanted to, they knew they were good enough, they wanted to achieve and were willing to put their body on the line to do it. And from that season, that squad, which was a brand new squad, like, which this is incredible. And off the back of it, I think within a year, I think there were seven players playing in the Heineken Cup the following season. You know, from guys that had been, you're not good enough to make it. You know, and um, two went on to get international caps, I think. So, um, again, it comes down to opportunity. And that's all people want, you know, is let me prove I can do it. And that's not 
one game every four or five weeks or two games and then you don't play for six months, you have to obviously get consistent opportunity, which is difficult to do in a very competitive environment. But uh, So Andre most definitely, um, and Nigel as well. You know, Nigel, um, he gave me my opportunity. And again, that it, I've been on both sides of it. Like there's some people who look at Nigel or Andre and some people hate Andre. Some players hate him because he didn't give them opportunity. They didn't like his approach or whatever. And the same goes for, for, for Nigel, every coach. And I, and I heard a very, very interesting uh, comment recently. Um, first time I'd been in a rugby environment in a while. And we were discussing this. All veterans go. The question was asked, you know, who's your, who's your favorite coach? You know, kind of like what you're in a way asking me. And we're all like, oh, maybe this guy. And I said, no, no, I'll give you the answer. The one who played you. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> and we were all like, holy shit, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, it is a lot of stuff. Like there's all these complicated questions and complicated answers. But sometimes you can just distill it down to a very simple answer. And um, that is a huge one. It is those guys. They both played me and, you know, they believed in me and helped me achieve like if it wasn't for Andre I wouldn't have got my Gloucester contract and if it wasn't for Nigel I wouldn't have got my extended because I got a year contract and then off Nigel gave me a two year extended and I love that I said the best season I ever had uh, the first year under Nigel so those guys are huge uh, there's other coaches along the way of course uh, they're early so many people you know and then of course your, your parents uh, like I wouldn't be who I am without them and their support and what I'm doing now as well not a chance uh, I'd be doing what I'm doing now without their support you know and Shane when you were in um, Gloucester did you have a lot of time in your hand or were you doing stuff outside of rugby or was the entrepreneur mind working or business mind in the background or what was your thought process yeah so uh, when I was in Gloucester the, the business side like I come from I suppose in it's a business family anyway, or a family business. When my, my, my dad and my, my grandfather set up, um, he was a very successful businessman back in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s and um, in, in retail and clothing and he clothing factories and stuff back when Ireland had a textile uh, industry and that kind of thing. And uh, then set up the family department store really in Drada, which evolved into a sports and menswear uh, store. So I was my dad liked the rugby had me on the shop floor from a very early age selling clothes you know and sometimes i'd love it and sometimes i'd rather be playing rugby or watching cartoons but whatever whatever happened from it they were valuable lessons and skill sets massive in terms of of being able to talk and communicate with people and sell you know and being able to sell clothes to people and you know a pair of jeans to a woman or a you know, a, a tracksuit to a man or run. It's, it's crazy. Those little things that, that all add up, uh, to, to help you be who you are now. Um, but, uh, sorry, re- remind me, what was the question you were asking? Me just when you were, you were, things were moving on in Gloucester. I just want to get an aspect. Was it all rugby or was it the other oh, yeah. part yeah. of the thinking business? Yeah. So the entrepreneur, uh, spirit or DNA was in me there. And, but it wasn't, um, it, like like previously, you know, with the, the education side of stuff, I knew, I knew how important it was for post-rugby career 
but it wasn't any good for in rugby career, especially at the time of Leinster, because the, the product design degree was like an engineering degree. You're in literally nine, nine to nine in the final year or nine to five is crazy hours. So that didn't lend itself, you know, it, it, cause you're, you're trying to balance yourself between two stools and it affects the rugby and it affects the degree. And, um, focus is so important. Uh, and I didn't want that to happen now that I was achieving my goals in rugby. I needed to focus. But what did happen was uh, my first season in Gloucester, we had uh, um, Secret Santa. And, you know, I picked um, my Tyndall, right? So member of the royal family and being an Irishman, I thought it would be funny if I got him a present of a tricolor. And my, my dad uh, brought one over from, from, our, from the airport with a game or whatever the weekend ahead of the Secret Santa. But he never took it out of his bag and ended up going home with the tricolor in his bag. And I was like, Dad, where'd you leave the flag? The Secret Santa is on tomorrow, you know, or it's on Monday. And he's like, yeah. oh, shit, I, I, I flew home. I don't have, I'm sorry, Shane. I was like, shit, what am I going to do? Because it was like Saturday evening and there's no chance I was going to get a tricolor in Gloucester and all the shops are closed. Like, what am I going to do? So he said, right, I'll, I'll paint a portrait of tins because I can paint. And I can draw and that kind of thing. So that's what I did. I got a little picture up and a little canvas and I, I painted him, a, a, a portrait of him, you know, just a headshot. And brought it into Secret Santa anyway. I think it was on the Monday. And we did the, we did the, the presents and, and my Secret Santa was a bag of potatoes. Being an Irishman, I could probably be able to take down the club now in today's environment if I got a present like that. You know, shows you how ridiculous some of the arguments are. It was hilarious. It was absolutely, it was brilliant. I thought it was a great fun. And uh, a slagging like that is fine as long as there's no malicious intent. And that's the whole thing I think people have lost in the, uh, in the equation. But uh, so anyway, you had that and then it came down to Tins and everyone's like, oh, what's Tins going to get? You know, because it's Mike Tindall. And the, uh, he opened it up and he goes, oh, it's a painting of me. And it's actually pretty good, you know. And off the back of that, and stupidly, Secret Santa, I had signed the bloody painting, you know, my signature on it. People were like, oh, shame on it. Shay, did you paint that? And blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I did, yeah. And everyone's like, that's deadly. He said, you should paint them for the fans. The fans would love them, the Shedheads. Gloucester fans would pay for that stuff, you know, and get the lads. And I was like, jeez, that's not a bad Back into the painting again. Uh, just something like that and there was no pressure I enjoyed painting it was a form of relaxation and that kind of grew and I sold my first year I was like Jesus this is this is great you know a bit of pocket money on the side and from that then I kind of dived into the entrepreneur side more and I ended up um, designing and making t-shirts for for the shed heads for the fans and selling them and that went really when I look back now and look at the turnover as a side project which you were doing hardly any hours a week on it um was really really good and really enjoyable and gave me a, an insight into that side of it and online sales and e-marketing uh, e, e and all that kind of e-commerce so that side of it was there and that was tipping along then the whole time while I was in Gloucester um, and but I never really let it distract from my playing and that was you know, great about it you know you're doing your own time there's no pressure on you um, so that was really good. And again, injuries. Um, unfortunately, I got a very bad injury in my uh, 
pre-season of you know following on in the best season I ever had in my career you go into pre-season I I, I ended up getting heat stroke and, off, and as a result of that dislocate my shoulder which led to surgery and 17 weeks out so you're you're basically you're working and during that period of time um, I distract from being injured and when you weren't rehabbing I, I did uh, the business which was great you know so that's kind of where that started and then gradually going through and there's lots lots of ups and downs like the, the first first season as I said couldn't have gone any better uh, and off the back of that first season in Gloucester I, um, I got a letter from the IRFU um, and I was in reserve for the Irish tour that year Right. So again, it shows you how quickly things can change. Going from let go, you're not good enough. You'll never make it as a professional rugby player. And this was said to me, to being on the reserve of the Irish Tour, with literally within a year and a half. Um, and Munster at the time wanted to sign me for would have been the biggest money contract they ever had, two year deal. Um, which I ended up turning down because I wanted, I loved it in Gloucester, and a sense of loyalty to to. to to Nigel as well, I wouldn't have been getting those offers if it wasn't for him. And um, ultimately, I feel that's why I didn't go on that tour because you had to be playing in Ireland to play for Ireland. But again, another major, major decision. Mm. I was like, I, my dream is to play for Ireland and here's my opportunity. Do I take it? Or do I stay and back myself in Gloucester to keep doing another two years' time? I'll still only be 25, I think, at the end of that or no, 2028 or whatever it is. So there's all these decision-making. So that's um, education for hard decision-making and not blaming anyone else for those decisions either is very important because people make decisions and they make them free of their own um, fruition and they blame other people when shit doesn't go well. (laughs) You know, so to be able to take that self-responsibility as well and realize, was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing to do? Learn from it. And hindsight as well, sometimes you don't know a year, two years down the line whether it was the right or the wrong decision to do. And I still believe it was the right decision to stay in Gloucester, most definitely, and for many different reasons. Um, you have a great, Shane, the one thing I just want to pick on, you have a great attitude with um, accepting things. You can accept them and move on very quick, which is kind of rare. There's a lot of people I know, especially in life and business, that they always look back and I should have, should have, should have. Whereas you've got a great attitude to say, do you know what? That's the decision I made and I'm standing by that decision. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like, don't get me wrong. There's, <laughs> there's, there's things where, like rugby in particular, that I went to a, the RPIs, the Rugby Players of Ireland, right? Which is our uni, uh, Players Association, who are amazing, by the way. I need to give them a shout out. As are the RPA, um, those unions trying to help players are fantastic. And every now and again, they have networking events of ex-players to help them post-career or business and all that kind of stuff, little breakfast meetings. And I went to one, um, that's nearly two years ago now, and I had a guy working with me at the time um, who would video, help me with my blogs and my social media and stuff for Lemur. And he came with me and he recorded some stuff for the me- for, of the meeting and images. We had the conversations and I hadn't been around rugby players for quite a while. Uh, ex-professionals for quite a while and it was great to catch up with them in our chat and I was just listening back to the conversation right and I was like holy shit I said I can hear myself in every one of these guys the way they're talking and that was an eye-opener for me as well because a lot of them were as 
successful or whatever level, because there's guys in there who had won Heineken Cups who played for Ireland, I don't know how many levels, and there's some guys that had finished a career, maybe one or two caps at senior level or, you know, various degrees, but they were all at the same, same mindset. And it was the same mindset I had in regards to rugby. Um, and to kind of give you an indication of the mindset was uh, we left and Connor was, uh, the guy's name is working for me at the time. And he goes, Shay, can I just ask you a question? And I said, yeah, yeah. So do all former professional rugby players hate rugby? <laughs> right. Because everyone was basically abusing the sport in a different ways or things that happened to them in their career in different ways. And and a bit of bitterness there, um, unbeknownst to them, I think. Um, but maybe bitterness or anger, it's more comes down to the opportunity thing. Like I was talking about, they felt that they never got the opportunity to prove themselves. And as a result of that, never achieved their goals. And... The thing about that is with high-performance people and professional rugby players, professional athletes, it doesn't matter what level you were or how successful you were. You'll most of the time, I can't speak for everyone, but most people will still have that. You could have won five Heineken Cups and go, I should have won six. Because that's just the nature of those people. They got where they are because they're so driven. And it's all about next and next. And it's, and, and, and it's accepting that as well. And the, the, the difficult thing in rugby as well is it's a limited time frame. You're, you're literally are against the clock because you've only so many years to do it. And, um, and there's a lot of guys like me. I do often think as well, it's not, yeah, I'm passing and all that. Like I retired when I was 28 in the supposed peak of my powers. And I didn't retire due to injury. I retired due to, to, to essentially politics and my, my opportunity getting taken away from me by individuals. You know? And that comes down from a coaching, coaching staff taking away that opportunity and not playing. Um, and that side of it. For a second, Shane. Can we just jump into probably the later end of your career and yeah. how that came about and then what was next after it yeah so this is following on and the things i said about you know the way those coaches andre and nigel i was one of those coach uh, players who they really liked yeah. and that was brilliant for me uh, unfortunately so at the end of the second season nigel and the whole coaching staff got sacked well wow. so all that proving myself and and you know earning my stripes and literally like that heat stroke thing i literally almost died there you know i've talked that about that story before where i got heat stroke in pre-season because i was literally pushing myself i couldn't push myself any harder because harder because i literally almost died and that was for you know looking back it's ridiculous it's stupid but that's just my mindset and that's what professional rugby players do and that's what they do you know there's no giving up that's who you are but that proved to them, this guy is literally willing to die for this team. You know, and in terms of proving yourself, you don't need much more than that. And that you have that with your squad mates as well. Um, and then within a year, that whole squad, that whole um, staff, that, that coaching staff are gone. 
and half that squad are gone. And a new coach comes in who knows nothing about you, looks at you and goes, no, you're not for me. And the new players come in who don't know you've never played with them. You've never proved yourself as a player and as a teammate to them either, um, which is a huge thing. It was always, it was, as much as it was, yeah, proving yourself to the coach, it was proving yourself to your teammates. That was the biggest, not the crowd, not the fans, not the, it was about your teammates. If you get their respect, you're happy, you know? Um, and that last season in, in Gloucester, um, and you have to remember for me, that two-year contract I had with Nigel was the first two-year contract I ever had in my career. So if you're, usually it was, you start the season great, really, come Christmas time, you're like, shit, do I have a contract? Do I have to move house? Do I have to move country? Whereas in Gloucester, I had that amazing season, I said, I have security for two years, which was incredible. When you have security, it takes weight off your shoulder. You can play better, you know, less stress and concentrate on your rugby. But here I am into the second, second year of this career of this contract to a new coach came in. And at the time, uh, my attitude was the exact same. I said, listen, I'll just do what I do, prove myself and get opportunity. I've had an unbelievable CV today. I've done fantastically well for this club. Very, very well thought of in the league at the time. I had a lot of the top top four or five teams at the time were interested in looking at potentially signing me and talking to my agents and all that sort of stuff. And um, within six months into the season, I hadn't been in one squad. Wow. You know? And, you know, perception becomes reality. Why isn't Monaghan in the squad? He was starting almost every week or he was in the, in the match day squad every week or whatever. And blah, blah, blah. Is he injured? Is he difficult to play with is he difficult to train with all this shit starts happening and my stock value started to go down and um and then uh with all this and this affects you it was, that was the most difficult year i ever had uh, mentally um and because uh, looking back now it wasn't just that shit it was the um the heat stroke incident i had was very traumatic experience. I didn't realize that. I 100% had PTSD after that. Looking back now, I had it. I know for a fact I had it because the, my behavior and recognizing it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you have that thrown in on top of your dream being pulled away from you slowly but surely. I could see it getting taken from me, you know? Mm. And uh, how do you react to that? How do you... I kind of hung in probably a bit too long and so I, I know I'm good enough I'm going to get my opportunity love it here um, you know I want and that was never going to happen with that with that coach and the problem with that coach um, was he was not honest and was not truthful about how he thought about you you'd rather a coach come in and be listen I don't rate you I don't see a future for you here um, at least then you know and you're like great I can look elsewhere yeah. but his attitude was you're brilliant we know what you bring to the team you're an amazing squad player ridiculously talented guy um, blah 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 you want to keep you essentially which wasn't the truth so it gives you false hope um, and that's another thing that 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 um, side of it so essentially and then when I did uh, I think it was I don't know a bit into the season about halfway through the season there was a European uh, European games a lot of the starting national games 
got an opportunity and we were in the side of France and uh, that's where I dislocated my shoulder the first time in the pre-season game against Toulon and we are side of France again I was on the pitch less than 10 minutes and went to Rook about, again luck timing whatever um, I was in a position on the wing I just need to, needed to get hit with a pass I score a try pass goes over my head and onto the ground Spence's around on the ground their winger jumps on it I go to Rook to steal the ball and their 150 kg Samoan number 8 hits me like a truck and dislocates my shoulder again and so I'm back to ground zero again of uh, 17, 18 weeks of surgery and rehab in a season where I'm not playing already and um, yeah enough is enough uh, yeah, that that's that was actually um, at that game after I was and in France they didn't even they had no I had paracetamol the pain I was in um, they'd no drugs or anything it was ridiculous and I was uh, because of where I was hit in my arm I thought I actually I was hitting the bicep and the way he hit me in the bicep pulled my arm out of the socket. So I thought he actually broke my arm as well as dislocating it. So they couldn't pop it back in until they had an x-ray. And as the pain of having your arm out of your shoulder, I was sitting in the back of an ambulance on my own um, for 20, 30 minutes and just saying, literally, someone is trying to tell me something here, you know? And I was like, fuck this. And this is, I've had enough. I'm not doing this shit anymore. Uh, I don't enjoy it. I don't love it anymore, you know? And that really then, and then I went in and the relief of getting it popped in, Jesus Christ, the relief was unbelievable. We went to the hospital and got the x-ray and it's not broken. And, you know, Bob Stewart came to collect me. who's an absolute legend. Who's the Gloucester, was the Gloucester physio. He's England physio now, um, Scotsman. And Bobby came in and he just, he just looked at me and shook his head, you know, and he was like, I'm so sorry, Shano, you know. And uh, we started the process again because uh, Bob had fixed me the first time and we started all over again. But saying that of that season, that was the best period for me in terms of mental health that season because there was no pressure on me to try and break into the squad that I was never going to break into. It was about me getting myself fixed getting fit again and enjoying that type of training to go somewhere else, you know, but again, timing wise, like I had pulled the trigger on my agent and said, listen, I need to get out of here. Um, is there another club that I can go and loan to or whatever before the end of the season kind of thing before it's too late as it were. And the week I did my shoulder, I got a phone call from wasps uh, who were interested in taking me for the rest of the season. So, it goes to show the timing and uh, meant to be kind of thing. I do believe in that as well. It just was not, no matter how hard I tried or how it's, you know, swimming against the tide. You know what I mean? Sometimes in life, that's a massive lesson as well is to learn those hard lessons. No matter how much you want it, no matter how hard you work, sometimes it doesn't matter. And it's not for you. So you just have to pivot, as they say, in, 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 and go somewhere else. The new pivot word. I know. People love those buzzwords. But they're, they're very, 
they're used for a reason they're very relevant and that's what I had to do there and um, I got back and I was in incredible shape but I was doing so I came back with Bob um, I was in better shape off the back of the recovery off the second surgery than I was previous to that because my mentally I was in a better place as well and I was training like I was training I doing my speed training with Marilyn Devonish Olympic gold medalist you know uh, who was in helping who's a great guy and um we, you know again probably the wrong language we were calling each other yin and yang you know uh, uh because i was a pasty white irishman and he's a black guy and we had great fun and that kind of stuff those memories are, are are fantastic um but again i i came back and i was fit ready to go a good few months left in the season and i didn't get one one look in um and ultimately that was the end of my Gloucester career and it petered out very badly it was very unprofessionally handled he never told me uh, I wasn't getting the contract he was kind of like talking to my agent and all that oh yeah yeah we're still interested blah blah how I found out was we had a had an end of year barbecue and anyone who was leaving the club got presented with a jersey and I was presented with a jersey at the barbecue wow and that's how I found out um, I wasn't getting a contract I was, oh right I guess I'm not staying then so uh, yeah it was very badly and, and it wasn't just me this is just the nature of that guy um, not naming any names I'm sure people can do their research and find out who it is <laughs> but he, he did it to a lot of players um, which wasn't great and that's wrong that's bad leadership you know so you learn lessons from good leadership and bad leadership as well Shane, I could I could listen to you all day with some of the stories. Uh, amazing value on here and just how raw uh, all all of the experience you've had. If I was to jump forward into Lemur, where did that journey start? Yeah, we're gonna have to do a part one and part two. <laughs> um that started while I was still in Gloucester. So that shitty shitty season I was having mentally and everything like that um I I flew so this is December 2014 I flew home to the folks which was you know I couldn't wait to get back even though it was only I think 24 48 hours something like that came back and um was having a conversation with my dad and my dad's in a voluntary group here in in Drogheda the Drogheda city status group you know trying to get city status the, the next the future city in ireland the next city in ireland but uh anyway they do all this great work and no one knew about it and they were getting frustrated by this and they'd write letters to the newspaper and traditional media nine times out of ten those letters don't get published and when they do they're gone after 24 hours and they're getting frustrated with this didn't have a face facebook even at the time you know so he said shane is there is there anything we can do to get the word out there about the work we're doing and i says there is that, yeah. You should make a podcast. And he goes to me, what's a podcast? You have to remember, most people had that answer in 2014. And it shows you how far podcasts have come yeah. in six years. So I explained it to him. I showed him some examples. And my dad's a great speaker in those conversations. So I said, Shane, that is amazing. How do we do it? He said, well, Dad, to do it right, you're going to need headphones, microphone, recording device, laptop or desktop, editing software, learn how to produce, set up your social media accounts, find a web host, start pushing. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Too much information, I'm not interested. So he went from amazing idea to I'm not interested in seconds. 
And that's when I got the ideas. Wow. Imagine if there was an app for someone like my dad or anyone who wanted to create a podcast or just share their voice, open it up, say what you want to say, hit share and you're done. So the term less is more came to mind. And that's where the name Lemur comes from, L-I-M-O-R or uh, Lemur. And I took this initial seed of an idea back with me to the UK. And I got into podcasts around 2012 when I started that painting again off the story we touched on earlier on. And that's the beauty of audio and podcasts is you can multitask. I could be there creating portraits and learning and consuming and being entertained at the same time. Can't do that with video. You just can't do it. It's not the same or text when you're painting. And that, that's applicable for training in the gym or working on the computer or whatever it is, or cooking dinner, whatever it is, multitasking. That's one of the main advantages of it. So, and I, I knew how to, well, try and find a podcast, which is very difficult. Uh, still is ridiculously difficult to find relatable content. Oh, that's a deadly podcast. It's rent similar to that. How do I find it? Still word of mouth a lot of the time, which is insane when you think about it. Um, so I, I started basically doing a deep dive and researching the industry and what was going on. And, you know, this is where my product design degree kicked in because the life cycle of a product and what you have to do and all this side of stuff. And basically, uh, I started realizing, holy shit, there's something happening here. And even then, finding statistics on podcasting was ridiculously difficult because there was none, you know? And like anyone who's starting out in the podcast game or the social audio game now, the amount of statistics available now versus the amount of statistics in 2014 is night and day. So I saw a massive opportunity. And basically, that's how I started. And I, over that year of, of uh, that last season in Gloucester, I started uh, investigating and designing the app and the ideas and evolving it and so on and so forth until um i came home and i started reaching out to people around december around december 2015 was when i started my initial conversations with people for funding and very very family and friends right at the beginning seed investment and basically uh i raised money i raised the initial money i needed within like four weeks you know off the back of literally an idea schematic on a piece of paper. And what all these guys, all the guys who invested at the beginning all told me is why they invested wasn't necessarily the idea. Yeah, they were interested. They kind of got it. But they said it was, it was my belief and passion in the project. And and this is where the professional rugby stood to me as well because they said he achieved his goals in professional rugby and one of the hardest sports you can do. He's been, they knew an idea of my ups and downs and all that side of stuff. So that's certainly said. So he's, he didn't give up there. He's not going to give up here. And that's what gave them the confidence to, to, to back me initially. And then in November, I finished up. I, I ended up, I couldn't get a contract when I left Gloucester. I was out of contract. My agent was looking. I'm very, very, I was back to square one again where I had been in, in Connacht all those years before. But this time I was 28 and not 20. 23 or whatever it was so this is what another thing about lettuce is i am not going back to ground zero again i've done all that shit i've proved myself i've i've earned my stripes i'm not starting at the bottom and becoming a journeyman it's not for me it's not what i want to do and uh, i said if i get a contract with a club that i i know 
is I'm good enough to play playing and hopefully we'll see what happens maybe and uh, I ended up doing a little bit of training with the Irish Sevens keep fit and that during the summer and then I got a uh, an offer from Munster again similar to the contract previously was offered a two-year contract biggest money I'd ever been offered and then I was offered a three-month uh, cover contract with not great money at all over the World Cup period and I grasped it with both hands, but again, it was you're you're on the back foot straight away because you're only in his cover. They're not really looking at you as, and there's a maybe a chance that you might get a contract kind of thing. And I knew that going in. I said, listen, I'll, I'll see what happens kind of thing. But my heart wasn't really in it because I I knew that, and I did very well for the opportunity I was there. Um, but uh, it wasn't enough in their eyes, and that was my last bit of professional rugby and that was I finished up November 2015 and that's when I went full-time into Lemur and I was lucky because I had had a year and a bit of really changing my focus from rugby to what's next and this Lemur thing has real potential and legs and I love it and I enjoy it and I have a real passion so that passion got plugged out of the rugby and got plugged into Lemur and uh, I've been doing it full time ever since. And I had a spate through the MMA. So um, when I left Munster, literally within a week or two weeks, there was an article. I, one of my friends at the time sent me a text message. He said, have you seen this thing with the Warrior? Because he knew I liked MMA and I wanted to try it and all that, which I could never really do when you're contracted, you know. Now, I wasn't contracted. And he said, did you see that? And I said, Jesus, that looks interesting. And the same day I walked home and my dad threw a newspaper at me with a big article about Winter Warrior. And he goes, did you see that? I was like, Jesus, again, someone's trying to tell me something. Yeah. So I I, uh, I applied for it. I got accepted to do the trials for the Winter Warrior. Uh, and again, it gave me massive focus from my training and the athletic side of it. So it wasn't a you know cold turkey from professional sport. Uh, and athleticism and that side of stuff so and I was keeping fit just in case a contract came up kind of thing so uh, I uh, I did the training I did the training I fucking beasted myself in preparation for the trials for Wimp to Warrior uh, for I think it was two months of just beasting and uh, that was great a friend with me he was training with me so that was really good uh, did the trials then got accepted for Winter Warrior, and then that was 22, 24 weeks, something like that, of training every day, more or less. So I, I looked at that, right, I'm a professional fighter now. It wasn't like it was an amateur. I said, I'm a professional fighter now. Same attitude. And I was training six days a week for 20, 24, 24 weeks or whatever it was. When I wasn't training, I was doing lemur. And the week of my fight, um, the prototype of lemur was ready. And that's when I said, 100% rugby is done. Boots hung up. Boom. Um, and had my fight. Uh, took my win. <laughs> and uh, retired. Undefeated. From uh, am- amateur uh, fighting. And I've been doing Lemur ever since. And that was, as I said, that was the summer of, what was that? November. That was the summer of 2016. So uh, here we are now all that time later and there's been massive ups and downs in the business side of it as well and Lima massive lessons learned and 
big thing about it as well, you know, in terms of, you know, when you're in sports, kind of like the military call everyone else civvies, civilians, professional athletes in rugby do that as well. But we did last round, civilians, civvies, civilian life is very different. The attitude is very different. And a lot of the time in rugby, you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you don't do it, you're held accountable. And you have your team and your guys around you that you don't want to let down. Civilian life, business life, it's not like that. People say they're going to do stuff and they don't. And you're kind of like, why say it if you're not going to do it? You know? So you're dealing with a lot of that. You're dealing with a lot of bullshit as well. Um, I don't know what it is. The ego um, causes people to lie <laughs> or pretend they are things that they are not. Um, insecurity, I think, is a big part. That's tied to the ego as well. And they pretend to be something. Um, and that's very frustrating to deal with as well. In, in, in um, so navigate that and trying to recognize and identify people who are not who what they who they say they are. That's a skill set because, like, trust is so important and it's, it's one of the most valuable currencies there is, if not the most valuable currency in everything is trust. And I would be quite a trusting person, and I trust people and I like to take them at their word. And you know. I would expect that in return. And so that's because I'm the kind of person, if I say I can do something, I'll do it. If I can't do it, I say I can't do it. And if you tell me, listen, Shane, I'm telling this is for your ears only. Don't say it to anyone. I won't say it to anyone. But most people aren't like that. And I, it's difficult for me to understand. So I've had to be more careful on who I trust and who I give my trust to and information I give to people as well. And all that's all really, really valuable lessons I've learned um, along the way and bringing as much of the experiences in the team environments and lessons I've learned from rugby into my environment that I've built in Lemur and building a team. And that's one thing I have done is I've built an amazing team. Like, I'm very excited today. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap this up soon enough to prepare. We have a, I have a, a big meeting diving into our the Lemur value proposition on branding and marketing and sales structure and all this side of stuff ahead of launch of Lemur 2.0. And I'm just looking at the people who are involved. We did first, well, we've been, you know, emails and all that. And this is the first face-to-face kind of meeting we've had. And it's obviously going to be social distance and all that side of stuff. But uh, I'm like, these guys are incredible at what they do. And they're all working to achieve the same thing and which is ultimately my original vision of an idea for a product, which is amazing, really. And very exciting. That's where, you know, that enthusiasm with all the fucking shit and the frustrations and blah, blah, blah. That's the kind of stuff that says, yes, this is great. This is brilliant. We can do this. And these people believe in the product as much as I do and what they've achieved in their lives. Only how this can't fail. Why, how could this fail? You know, it's too good. Um, and that kind of stuff is, is amazing. And that's what I love about uh, Lemur and what, what, what we're doing, you know. And Shane, I suppose I am conscious of time for yourself and we probably need to do a part two. As say, yeah, no, that's fine. But if just, I suppose, um, if someone was just listening to this and they heard the word Lemur, what is Lemur? Explain that to me straight out. Lemur is a new social audio community. 
and it's the next evolution of social media into voice and podcasting into social media. So it solves three major problems for people. One, barrier to entry to create, to record and edit audio or full-length podcasts straight from your phone. You don't need equipment. End of the hole, as I know. Yeah, you, you don't need any of that stuff. All you need is your phone. So instead of inviting someone into your studio or, or Zoom call at a set time, you could be walking down the street, whip out your phone and go, oh, listen, can you give me five minutes of your time? And because it's a social media or social audio um, experience, like an Instagram or Twitter, um, you have followers and you follow people back so they can instantly listen and they can instantly interact with you. This is very important social audio aspect of it is. So I create audio. I, uh, I share it. My followers, say I have 100,000 followers, can instantly listen, but they can instantly talk to me directly via voice comments. I can talk directly back to them via voice comments. And you can listen to that comment and reply. And it can start a whole conversation. So the comment section is likely like an open source WhatsApp voice group with the world. You know, so essentially what we are building is, you know, what YouTube did for video and Instagram did for images, we are doing for voice. So our foundation is voice. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's complementing those and it's the, the, the next evolution of, of, of social media into voice. So um, like if they want to experience it or try it out, you can download the app for free from iOS or from Google Play set up your own profile instantly, start recording and sharing voice instantly with the world, and then you can share that link out with your Twitter or your Instagram or, or Facebook or WhatsApp, or whatever the case may be, and, and then have real relationships. And real, like it's, it's hard to explain the real connection that you have with people on email. Like I know people in America who I could say, yeah, I have a relationship with those people. I've never met them. I've never even seen a picture of their face. But I would be happy to meet them for a point. I know I connect with this person. It's it's weird. It genuinely it's a strange, it's a strange experience. It's a very uh, positive, and that's one thing. It's been ultimately it's been very very positive. I don't know what it is about voice in particular. It 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 humanizes the experience, you know. So um, it's probably not a great. Uh, as I said, you have to see it to believe it or hear it to believe it in this situation and try it out, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, listen, Chen, two, just two little quick points to finish off on. Uh, normally just ask our guests is just kind of might be putting you on the spot now, but what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Uh, the best advice I've ever gotten. Jeez, that is a, that, that is a tough question. Um, fail and that's actually taken a a a a cover of a name of a book it's a fella i don't know if it's a, it's up there one that always pops to mind there's, there's so many different ones but ollie campbell who you may have heard of was a very famous irish rugby player british and irish lions number 10 during the the 80s and early late 80s and that and ollie when i was in the academy or the sub academy in leinster at the time um he basically he, he, he gave me that book and more or less said, he said, don't be afraid to fail. Try, you know, go ahead. If you're afraid to, to, to fail, you never do or try anything. You know, and, and if that was the case, if I was afraid to fail, I never would have continued with my rugby career 
as I said, when you get dropped, it's like, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't make it. Or with Lemur, there's been a huge amount of failures in terms of meetings and fundraising and product issues and all that. But uh, ultimately, you learn a lot more from your failures. And people have heard this, I'm sure, all, but it's so true, you know. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to fail, you know. Because it's 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 often, as I said, it's not until a year, two years down the line that you realize actually that's the best thing that ever happened to me, you know. So um, effective, just uh, short like that. And Shane, I suppose you've kind of given a book recommendation there, but would there be any book recommendations or podcasts or advice you give to any listeners that helps you? Um. Yeah. Well, that book is when it comes to books, like self help books and all that. That's not really like books I read are science fiction you know what i mean i, I use them to switch off um in terms of like listen everyone i love joe rogan you know i'm a massive fan of joe rogan i wrote a blog thanking joe rogan after he he'd signed his contract for uh or created a cast uh about it, thanking him because i was using joe as an example to try and show people where voice is going I was talking about Joe at the beginning of the lemur journey. And people, who the hell is Joe Rogan? I said, I'm telling you, this guy is going to change the world. This is where voice is going. This is where podcasting is going. And, and there you have it, five years later. And I'm telling people, I spoke to, I fucking told you so. Listen to me, please. And the same thing is happening with lemur. You may have seen yesterday, Twitter have introduced voice tweets. I was talking about that five years ago. I said, this is where it's going. Listen to me. So <laughs> I suppose the other bit of advice, try not to get frustrated because that is the, that's one thing you hear my voice there because it's true, is uh, you'll be knocking on a lot of doors that won't open, but eventually one will. And it's to keep, don't give up, you know? Do not give up. If you know it's right, if you really do believe in it, do not give up. So... Um, so Joe is great. I love Joe because he's a lot of valuable information, but it's entertaining as well. Um, and then TV shows, switch off. That's advice. Learn to switch off because with Lemur, I'm on Lemur 24-7. Everyone I talk to, it comes back to Lemur. And so I need to tell myself, don't talk about Lemur. So learn to switch off. But even when I do that, like I watch, I love watching Netflix series or dramas or like certain shows I love are Billions. You may have seen Billions and Sky Atlantic. I'm looking at that and I says, I can learn from that show. People don't realize that's what it's like. I've met people like that. They are sociopaths, a lot of them. But a lot of the, the, the lessons there are so true and you can learn from it. It's amazing. I get entertainment from it. I switch off and I'm learning from it as well. So you can learn from every experience you have, but switch off is that's a bit of advice I would give. Literally do brain dump. You know? And Shane, uh, just to finish off then, where can people find you or stay connected with yourself? Um, yeah, 100% Lemur, straight, first and foremost. You can literally talk directly to me on Lemur uh, by following me, um, Shane Monaghan on Lemur or the Lemur official profile. Um, so you can download Lemur for free from the App Store or Google Play. You can check out the Lemur website, www.lemur.ie, L-I-M-O-R.ie. And we have all the, the social media accounts as well. So your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook. Uh, you can get us everywhere, essentially. And there's emails there too. But uh, yeah, no, definitely engage with us on Lemur. I, says, I love 
if I, every time I get a voice comment, um, I reply to it. So if I get a voice comment from you guys, I'd love to hear from you. And it's a great way of engaging. And uh, yeah, that's it, basically. Brilliant. Well, listen, it's been a, a pleasure. And as I say, until next time, until part two, we'll have yeah. to get the rest <laughs> of the story. But thank you so much for your time, Shane. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Brilliant.